0: Good morning everyone. Grace and peace be to each of you. Bring you Christian greetings this morning in Jesus name and also Christmas greetings. May the Lord bless you for your presence here this morning. I had to think there's, I think there's 16 churches in our conference so that means there's 15 other brothers are sharing, I, I assume, on Christmas this morning. It'd be interesting to hear the variety of of messages that are bre- being brought just within our own conference. You know, that would add up to about 10 hours of s- preaching. I don't know that anyone here wants to sit through 10 hours of of that. But there's certainly uh, no end to the goodness of the word of God. We will never be able to exhaust the, the truth of God's word to where there's no more to ever be said again. Because it's just, it goes on and on. It, it's a boundless theme, the love of God. And His coming to earth. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, and upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom to order, and to establish it with judgment and justice. From henceforth even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I have uh, selected as a title for the message this morning, An Outcast into a Broadcast. An Outcast into a Broadcast. Maybe you have heard that, maybe that, that, Sounds familiar to you? And If I recall, I believe the uh, the there was a, a news station, Fox News. It was said of them that they they started small and they became um, great. They became uh, a lot bigger than expected. And along with that theme of of coming from going from that state of of smallness, being an outcast, maybe. Um, We have the theme of, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end, speaking of the prophecy concerning Jesus. So an outcast turned into a broadcast. Think of that in relation to who Jesus was and to his... Humanity coming into the world but think of it too maybe in relation to ourselves and what God wants to do with his people I don't know what you think of when, when you think of um, Christmas this season there, there's different ways and perspectives that people have about Christmas some, some of it's good and some of it's not so good I guess my I see two main themes that come out in uh, two valid themes of Christmas, and one is celebration. the The songs we sing concerning Christmas they are often joyful songs, songs of cheer, merriment, and we celebrate. Maybe the world is celebrating something they don't even realize, but they, they understand that there's an undercurrent of, of a thing that is to be celebrated, and just out of tradition and and whatever, they, they go out and do this. And the songs, even the secular songs about Christmas, usually have to do with a, kind of a spirit of festivity and celebration, and you see that in the world, and... And you think, you know, why is that? Why is it that we start hearing messages of good cheer and goodwill to men? Yes, it originates from the Bible, but does the world really understand that? But yet they get caught up in it somehow. Um, it makes me wonder if God doesn't just, in a divine, sovereign way, bestow his favor on all of mankind in this season, to where there's just a response that comes from from maybe we don't even know where. As we read in our Sunday school, this, the, the passage said that this is the true light that cometh into the world, that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. One of our brothers brought that out, but it was in the text. The glory of God, the, the, the advent of, of Jesus coming into the flesh, there's a sense in which his light radiates to all men. It's a glorious thing, and I think that's some of the spirit behind Christmas. We talk about the spirit of Christmas, and we, we say that in a favorable way. I think we understand that. But there's a second thing I thought of, a theme that you could say sort of relates to Christmas as well, and that is the humble, the lowly nature of that setting. That also comes out in the songs we sing. Usually we use terms like uh, Jesus, meek and mild. He was lowly. He was born in a humble setting, in a manger. And all of that has an endearing uh, uh, element to it as we consider it. it. It's a charming thing to think about. Because we can identify with being humbled maybe in a good way but sometimes we're humbled in a shameful way or we come out of a, a thing and then we are maybe exalted or, or it's, it's the type of stuff that stories are made out of where we, we kind of root for the underdog and then we glad, like to see him come out of that and conquer and and come out of his former state. And so from a a lowly birth to a glorious kingdom. And at at that time of Christmas, you have all those different emotions that are wrapped up in that setting. You have the the hardship. You have the um, you have money involved. They went to to Bethlehem to be taxed. At the end of the year, people start thinking a little bit about the money side of it, the taxes, because, you know, we want to spend money and have deductibles and that kind of thing. And in the setting of Christmas and all those events that happened, you have the joy of the appearance of the angels and that angelic visitation There was fear involved in that, but there was also messages of of joy and peace to all men. You have the wonder of it all, where Mary pondered these things in her heart. Maybe that's good for us to do in our musings and in in the mysteries of life. And maybe we have the answers. Maybe we would like to say some things. but There's times, I believe, when it's best just to ponder it, meditate upon the things that God has shown us. It's interesting during the, the time of Christmas as well that not all is good. I've heard that statistically there are more heart attacks during this season on Christmas Day, particularly, the, the highest rate of heart attacks, why is that? Is that meant to be? Is that why Jesus came into the world, to give us heart attacks? And the second most common day is the day after, December 26th. And then the third most common day is January 1st, New Year's. So there's, there's a lot that seems like a level of anxiety and stress that can kind of go into Christmas. Maybe it's just kind of what we make it. But it was that way in the beginning. It, it caused anxiety in, um, in the town of, of Bethlehem when, when, um, when the wise men came. Now, this was a couple years later. Here's the thing about the events of Christmas. When you take Matthew's account and Luke's account, And often, at at a distance, we don't have the depth perception, so we just lump it all together. And that's okay. That's okay because when we see the stars, the stars are at varying distance, very great variances. But they all look the same. So from a distance, and you can kind of break some of that down, but think of the hate that was in that setting as well. Herod had hate in his heart he had anxiety and he went to to root this out in an evil way and so I'd like to think of of this this wonder of what we're told in Isaiah that there is an increase and of that increase there shall be no end think of how amazing that is how can that be that something will continue to increase Uh, unendingly. There is no end to that increase. We understand a little bit how, what it means to be exalted and elevated to another plane, but God says this increase will continue. It will go forth and and never end. I think that means it will continue to expand and enlarge itself. And an illustration of this again is, is what they tell us about the creation. The heavens, they say, are expanding. The stars, the universe is expanding. And in a real sense, the universe reflects the nature of God. It reflects who God is. Romans talks about his eternal power is reflected in creation. and and an aspect of eternity is well well, some people like to use a circle and they say well a circle just represents eternity I like one I like better is an observable uh, observable thing in nature is space it is infinite and to me as such it it reflects the eternal nature of God and the Bible says men are without excuse because of that for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That is Romans chapter 1. So God uses the greatness of his creation and the things he has done to, that stand out as a witness to the, great, the greatness of him as a creator. We saw that a little bit in our lesson text this morning from John. You know they tell us that, that our, our, um, our world is made up of three basic elements time, space, and matter. And it's interesting in the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. You have those three elements. You have in the beginning, that is time. God created the heaven, that is space, and the earth, the matter, all wrapped up just in that single first verse of God, of the Bible. But I think of of the, the creation and what God has done in relation to the responsibility of man to see this. And to know this, that it becomes the light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Not just those that accept him. That is helpful in moving them in that direction. But Ecclesiastes tells us that he has set eternity in their hearts. God has given man a witness, a physical witness, and you could say an obvious witness in the things of life. So we have the witness of something that is great, something so big we cannot comprehend it, the creation, things that go beyond our ability to, uh, too wonderful for me is, is what the psalmist said. And then another, another principle, and this is kind of the opposite, is that God has not left himself without a witness in the small things, not necessarily small in size, you could... You could go to that realm of the microscopic world, but, but small in the sense that it is unworthy. It is insignificant. It is even humbling or disgraceful. And we come out of that situation. I invite you to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for a thought on this. Verse 26, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 through 31. He says here, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And so... Just try to relate that thought in these verses to the coming of the Lord Jesus. It, it didn't seem right, it seemed a little bit odd for the way it, it happened. Maybe you could say even in a, in a wrong way from, from appearance the way Christ came into the world, but that is a principle you see in, in scripture how that we are not to trust in chariots and in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. The small things of nature and of creation of God's hands and and the events he brings about, the way he makes it happen, um, it might seem like foolishness to the world. The wisdom of the world, which is a false wisdom it, it doesn't understand. But I think it, in many ways the small things of life declare the glory of God. We have that the lowly babe in a manger, that Jesus Christ was born in, of all places, unexpectedly in that way. But what a beautiful story that even a child can understand. A child can take delight and understanding in this story of christmas and even the adults in the in the um, in that in those events became childlike in their wonder and in their worship of the babe in the manger and so you have that setting of chaos where. Everyone is, is there and it's crowded and they're they're trying to focus on something completely different. All the noise and, and the crowded in which which resulted in why there was this other that had to happen for Mary and Joseph. So over all that chaos, yet there was a a spirit of peace. You have a picture of peace that settles over the land because the 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 spirit of restlessness was there. But yet I think God wants to um, contrast that as he does often with light and darkness. Chaos and peace are also contrasted in in that physical setting amid, amid the din of the the crowd. There's a song that says the master of the inn refused a more commodious place for the Son of God. Well, it wasn't really his fault. He was, he was kind of stuck in the middle there, you could say. And so I don't think the blame should go to the innkeeper. He, he could not understand what was happening, and likely he was doing the best he could. But as I think of this Christmas season and how often that same thing is repeated in what we see, just in an attempt to be, uh, make Christmas what we want it to be or expect it to be, sometimes there can be chaos and confusion and calamity. But often then in the short distance away, here you have a child born, king of all the earth. Zechariah 4.10 says, For who hath despised the day of small things? I see that pertaining especially to Jesus coming into the world. Another translation would render that verse, who hath despised the day of small beginnings? Small beginnings that God is able to take something small and expand it and turn it into something greater. I think of the story of Elijah. Elijah prayed earnestly for rain. It said he prayed before that. There was drought because he had prayed against rain, but there came a time when it was a prayer for the rain of God from heaven. And it said when he prayed, he cast himself down on the earth. He put his face between his knees. And you, you just see this posture of Humility. And he told his servant to, to go check, go look out to the sea and see what you can, what, what there is there to observe. And out of that, there was nothing. And he, he continued this process. He prayed and kept sending the servant out. And eventually this small cloud the size of a man's hand appeared over the sea. And that small cloud became a, a mighty tempest that where the heavens became black with clouds and wind. Now maybe you see Elijah as, in that situation as praying and begging and pleading God to make something happen. I don't think that's really what the posture of prayer is about. Because I think Elijah knew what was going to happen. But he was praying into that desire And because of some verses that happened before this, Elijah told Ahab, before there was any prayer or any any mention of of needing to pray, he told Ahab, get up, eat and drink, prepare yourself, because there is the sound of abundance of rain. I find that interesting. Elijah realized that something was coming. He sensed in his spirit, maybe in a prophetic way, but he told Ahab, the rain is coming, and then he prayed for the rain. It reminded me of another verse in Zechariah that says, to pray for rain in the time of rain. In the time of rain, to pray for rain. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So maybe the rain in this sense could, could illustrate to you the moving of God in your life the work that he is doing perhaps in a particular season a work he is bringing upon you a presence the reign of God and the the call and the challenge is to pray for that when you sense it begin to pray for it in that season to happen you know if you're riding a bike and there's a hill up ahead. Maybe you're coming down a hill, and you see a hill up ahead. You don't wait till you're in the middle of that other hill to start pedaling. You start to pedal now, even when the going's good, in in light of what is to come. Psalm verse uh, chapter eight. Psalm chapter eight. I'd like to take you there for. A few thoughts. Verse 1 and 2, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hath set thy glory above the heavens. Verse 2 says, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. It is out of the mouth of babes and sucklings. And I think this could very well refer to the Lord Jesus coming as a babe. And the wonder of it all. How that God was going to establish something great to silence the enemy. To steal the enemy. That's the thought behind that. Because of thine enemies. You know, God uses, I think, the small things in life to trick the enemy many times. You know we have that story of of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2 and there you could say she was a little bit of an outcast that was turned into a broadcast. She accomplished much and and some say Rahab was in the, the lineage of Jesus. And then I always assumed that, but then I read recently where there was some talk that, that kind of went in opposite directions that, that maybe the Ray, Rahab in, in Matthew chapter 1 is spelled different. It has a C in there, and some say, well, that's not the same Rahab. So I, I'm not really wanting to debate that here, but she was mentioned in the Hall of Fame Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews. I thought of, of the events of that situation. And I appreciate the way the Bible not only teaches us truth, but it gives us illustrations and stories that, uh, um, that support the same truth that it teaches in, in Proverbs and in doctrines. And Hebrews 11 says it was by faith that the the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she received the spies with peace. And so whether or not she was in the lineage of Jesus, it's very possible she was. But there were other women in the the, um, lineage that were not of great reputation. We have Tamar, and she was a Gentile widow that veiled herself as a harlot. We have Ruth. Now now Ruth was an honorable woman and yet she carried the the stigma of being a Moabite. Bathsheba, the wife of David. We know there was much error and and disgrace that was involved there. And then we have Mary. The mother of Jesus, a devout woman of God, and yet she had to accept the lowly role of of um, being a virgin with child. You know, and that was esteemed by most to to be with child outside of marriage, and she she bore that stigma, I think, willingly and gracefully. So in typical fashion, you know, the Bible stories illustrate over and over again an outcast being turned into a broadcast, something that grows and and exceeds, increases. How often was it that it was the younger brother in the stories of scripture, it was the younger brother that was excelled or promoted over over the elder? joseph was excelled and elevated above his older brethren david as well was was the same isaac was the younger son of of abraham over ishmael and jacob was preferred over esau so you have all those examples but in the purpose of all of that god says i want to steal the enemy and the avenger i want to silence the enemy and so I thought of that in relation a little bit to what happened at Jericho with Joshua and then compare it to the twelve men that Moses sent out because it was, it was almost like a sequel or a parallel the two events. Moses sent out the twelve men, two of them came back with a bad report but the same happened with joshua he sent out those two spies and they came back with a good report as well and so joshua had two good reports but moses did too the difference was there were ten that opposed you could say they were the enemy and the difference i see is that till you get to joshua You still only had two good reports, men of faith, but there were no bad reports. In other words, the enemy was not there. The the ones that spoke evil were not there to offset. And I think that's what God wants to do out of the mouth of babes and sucklings is still the avenger and put to silence the the works and the, the speech, the talk of evil. And, and in that sense, I think his kingdom will continue to increase. There will be a day when all the all the dissenters of Christianity will be put to silence. God wants to do that work out of the mouth of babes and sucklings and out of the lowly come the strength of the Lord. And I hope you can apply that to your own experience because Yes, the tendency of man is sometimes to exalt himself, but the, the opposite of that is often a problem, too, to where we, we cast ourselves down in, in such a way that we are not able to rise in the strength that the Lord would have for us to, to rise up in with his promises and the assurances that he desires to give us. <clears throat> Second Samuel chapter three. Verse 1, it it talks about here the the house of David. Chapter 3, verse 1, I might read a couple verses here from 2 Samuel. It says, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And that word "wax means to it becomes it, it changes it it becomes um, that way. David was the underdog up against Saul in many ways, but because God was with David and that made the difference you know even Saul recognized this in the middle of of um, being uh, an enemy to david where that that sort of reached a peak and here it says it was a long war even saul blessed david there was a time or two he said where he, he spoke to david when david had revealed that he had the power to to do away with saul and he said to david blessed be thou son, David. Thou shalt do great things and also shalt still prevail. And so after that encounter, after saying those words, then Saul goes out again and continues to fight against David, the very one that he said is going to prevail. Interesting. And so, you know, when you don't have the Lord on your side in your life, your life can can start going a direction that even even to the point where insanity begins to be the be the the way you go Saul was afraid of David from way back and but yet he knew the lord was with David but in all of that understanding he continued to fight against David well i thought of another theme of christmas where some of the secular songs there's a secular song Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer many of you have probably heard that it surprised me to learn that that song is at least 70 years old it was written that long ago but even in that song it brings out how this underdog principle of one of the deers that had an oddity and that oddity is what became his commodity later on on a foggy Christmas Eve, the odd man out became promoted. You know, it, it sounds funny, but it, it's, it's true that the Lord uses that principle in our lives. Where something maybe a little bit odd in our life, and it was really, when you look at it, it's really odd for the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator of all, to be born in a stable. And so odd things sometimes become where God can prove his strength in our life and in the events of scripture. There was a story I remember from one of the child readers storybooks that there was a boy that he had an apple tree his folks gave him an apple tree to to own and to take care of and they were on a, a farm I don't remember all the details of the story but this uh, this boy took great pride in this tree and he looked forward to the day when he could uh, sell the apples off this tree and then keep the money and buy a bicycle or something along that line. Well, he had a younger sister and we'll just call her Susie. I don't know the names of the people in the story. And Susie was a little girl. She loved to um, be around her older brother and she looked up to her brother and she rejoiced in his ownership of this tree and well, the time came when the tree began to produce apples that spring and through the summer the the apples started getting bigger and this little girl, she wanted to help her brother. She had an idea, she went out and picked all these apples before they were ready to pick. And I still remember the the picture in in the book this little girl standing under this apple tree with a big grin on her face, with a basket full of green apples. She was doing what she thought was was great, helping her brother out. And in the story, he had enough grace to to not be too hard on her, but yet there was a disappointment. And so that summer went by and <clears throat> And the boy, I'll just call him Jerry. I don't know his name either, but he um, he had no expectation of reaping a harvest from that tree because she had gone up and, and picked all the apples. Well, later on, as the story went, later on the summer was getting past, and they were selling their apples from their other trees, I guess. And a man stopped by a customer, he came by the the farm there and he wanted to buy some apples. And he seemed a little bit worried and he couldn't quite settle on what to get. And he said, well, I'm, he saw the apples they had for sale and I guess they weren't good enough. He said, I'm looking for some really, uh, something special for an occasion. I want some really big, nice looking apples. And the manager of the, the orchard, and it, it may have been the, the, Jerry's father, he told the man, well, you know, I think what, what you might want are some apples from Jerry's tree. Well, Jerry was like, well, Dad, I don't, I don't have any apples. But the dad said, let's go out to, to Jerry's orchard to the orchard, and let's look at Jerry's tree. So they all three of them went out there, and here in the very top of the tree, there was eight or 10 great big apples, huge red apples, just perfect. Here, they were the leftovers that little Susie had not been able to to reach. And I remember that story. They went and picked the apples, and I think the man paid little Jerry. He was well compensated that day because the man it was exactly what he wanted. He wanted something extra big. Well, those couple apples in the top of that tree grew that way because of what Susie did. She had stripped the tree of all the the normal apples and then all the all the nutrients and all the, the blessing went up into those few. That story always stood out to me. I think that's the work that God can do when things are looking like they're lost. The Spirit of the Lord can move in that situation and bring about an increase. It is out of the darkness that the light of God shines ever so brighter. And I think the Spirit of the Lord is saying to His people, I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places. I saw a little quote the other day. It said, it was kind of cute. It said, If you stumble over a stone, get up and step on it. God has given us authority, His authority as his sons and daughters to, to do that and to take dominion in those small ways often. And I thought of another verse where it says, I will restore the years that the locusts have taken. I'd like to turn to one more reference in Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verse 25 this very verse it says i will restore to you the years that the locusts have taken the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer wood palmer worm my great army which i sent among you in verse 26 and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the lord your god that hath dealt wonderfully with you and my people shall never be ashamed and you shall know that i am that i in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. I want to be in the number of those who are not ashamed to own their Lord, to own the babe in the manger, because there was no room in the inn, but a baby who came to destroy the works of the devil. That is part of the mission as well. Jesus came to set the prisoner free. He came to give sight to the blind, to proclaim liberty to the captives. You know, that sight to the blind, we need that assurance that that God is a light and a revelation to us. As Paul prays the prayer in in Ephesians chapter 1, he says that the Lord, the Father, God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Father of glory would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That, That understanding that comes from knowing God's word is true. That's what we need because there's a lot that is against the Word of God. A lot that is evil and darkness that would denounce anything that that there there even is a God or that the Bible is true. There is a deception, a spirit of deception that wants to work its way into our current world affairs, I believe. And the spirit of the age is, is... seeking to make that happen the spirit of antichrist and so in the midst of all that i'm just saying we need we need to be assured in our hearts we need to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation and i don't think it comes just by having knowledge or reading facts out of the word of god it has to be uh, the spirit of god himself breathing upon our spirit breathing witness with our spirit that we are the sons of god the story of creation the story of man And of the promises of God, I think can be summed up in one or two short verses, which are some of my favorite. It says, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. It is the spirit that quickeneth us. It is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. That is a blessed assurance we have. I thought of another song that's uh, not a Christmas song. Number 389 in our church hymnal. I think there's some... Themes of Christmas that actually come out in this song, written by, I'm sorry, I said 389. Let me find the right, the right number. It's Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine, 398. Written by Fanny Crosby. It begins by saying, Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. What was the message of the angels? For unto you is born this day in the city of David. Unto you. That is the gift, not not just to Mary. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. The second verse says, perfect submission, Perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. You can almost say that the writer of those psalms was thinking about those shepherds on the hillside, receiving that glorious message from the angels of peace on earth, good wills to men. So may the Lord bless your day, may he give you understanding and wisdom, and joy this Christmas season, maybe in the midst of some difficulties, because you know what, many are the afflictions of the righteous, that should not be a surprise, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. So may we carry that confidence and, and assurance with us this Christmas season. We'll ask our song leader to lead us in the song.